0: So I am excited tonight. I get to cover one of my, actually one of my favorite subjects. Um, But we're going to, the topic, the title for tonight is Feeding Firsthand Faith. Uh, And we're going to start with a story, one of the craziest stories in the Bible, or at least one of the stupidest choices ever recorded. Um, But in order to understand the depth of the stupidity involved in this choice, you have to have some backstory. So our actual moment we want to catch is in Exodus 32. But in order to understand it, you have to rewind a little ways. So the Israelites have been in Egypt for as long as any of them can remember. They've been there for about 400 years, and they've been slaves for a long time. They've been mistreated, they've been abused, and they have cried out to God for help. And they're like, God, this stinks. We need your help. We need you to save us. God showed up to Moses, told Moses he heard their cry, wants to deliver them, sends Moses. Moses shows up, and Pharaoh says, the king of Egypt says, I don't want to let him go. And he says, well, God says to let him go. Well, he, Pharaoh goes, well, who's God, and why should I obey him? And this starts this, like, contest between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, I don't know who God is and I don't care and won't listen. And God goes, fine, I'll show you who I am and you can decide to listen. And it starts relatively small. And, you know, like he throws down a staff and it becomes a snake. And Pharaoh's like, well, my magicians can do that too. And then Moses' staff eats their staff snake things. It's kind of weird and picks it back up. And he's like, well, this is just magic. I can handle this. And then they... they turn the river to blood and and this is kind of crazy. And then frogs infest the land. And then we have gnats, flies, uh, livestock all begin to die. We have boils on people, on the livestock. And then throughout this, God begins to separate out the Israelites and shows Pharaoh that this isn't just a random happening that happens to be happening to Egypt because it happens all across Egypt except for where the Israelites are. So like there's just craziness except right there. And then they have hail, very heavy hail that just destroys things. And then the locusts come and just wreak havoc on Egypt. And then we go through and so after the locusts, it's dark for three days with, um, with no light there except for in the land of Goshen. And then you find that the final plague as Pharaoh's resisting them. He says, all right, the firstborn throughout Egypt are gonna die if they don't follow these instructions. And he institutes the Passover, which is um, gives us a glimpse of the redemption that Jesus is gonna do later. But but I'm watching them like, okay, these are crazy. This is not like normal stuff. If if you if I watched this, I think I would be blown away. If some guy's like, God says, Let my people go, and you're like, eh, no, and he's like, Boom! And he hits the ground, and the ground just, like, start, takes off, and it's, all of a sudden, it's, like, thousands upon millions of gnats, and you're like, what? And then, like, throughout this, it, like, it seems like this would just blow my mind. And when it's all done there, Pharaoh's like, get out of here. And they, they take off, and God says, they're going to plunder, you're going to plunder them in your departure, so walk over to your Egyptian neighbor and ask them to give you things. So, like, all right, we're, like, leaving as slaves. Hey, do you have something you want to give me? Here, take all my money. are like, what? That's again, this is crazy. So then they go to the Red Sea and they're like, yeah, God is awesome. And then Pharaoh shows up and they're like, oh no, Pharaoh's going to kill us because now he's angry. And you're like, okay, so, so now you have again, God goes, I'll show up. And he puts a cloud between them and between the, the Egyptians. He tells Moses, Moses, stop complaining and lift up the staff and the sea splits in two and you're like okay this is this is this is crazy to have a sea split and says that they walked through it on dry ground and you're like that's not normal and in my mind this would be like world shattering life changing encounter with the almighty God as the river splits and they go through and they walk through it on dry ground. And like, there's so many of them, it's like, it's an all night march for all of them to march across. And then they're like, the cloud moves, the Egyptians come running into the sea and God's like, lower the stick, lowers the stick and all their enemies get washed away. Okay. Like, I think that I would remember that forever. I think that would be like a defining moment in my life, watching all of these problems, all of this opposition, those that were my taskmaster, those that used to beat me, watching them get washed away, like that that I think would be huge. And then you see them they like they think it's huge, and they like start writing songs and they've got all this different stuff as they celebrate it, and then just shortly thereafter, if you're reading, they're like, Hey, um we need water. We don't have any water, and this water is not good, and it's making people sick, and so God makes the water pure. And then they're like, well, but, but we need food, and God rains down bread from heaven, and then they move somewhere else, and they don't have water, and he's like, well, here, have Moses go hit the rock. Takes a stick, hits a rock, and water comes from a rock. Okay, these I would classify as not normal. Like, if I was to put that in today's in like in your life, you have been involved in a church where you have seen constant, every miraculous thing possible. Like those are like grand, nation-shaking, monumental things. Are you, are you tracking with me? Okay, so, so they just seen all of this, and Moses says, all right, God's gonna come and, it's in, and he is going to speak among you where you guys can hear him. And he starts to give him instructions and they go, okay, no, no. This is Exodus 20, verse 19. He says, they say, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And they're like, they, they have this understanding that God is big and that God is powerful and that they make a lot of mistakes and they're, they have that much understanding. And that's, that's it. Like, you have a relationship with God and you talk to us. So then Moses goes up on a mountain and talks to God. And he's gone for like 40 days. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, we hear the most stupid line I think ever uttered. And it says that they, when they, the people saw that Moses was delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up. Make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I read that and I thought, you have got to be the dumbest people that have ever lived. Okay, first off, make us gods. If you have to make it, how is it a god? Like, you came first. It didn't make you because it didn't exist until you went and decided to make it. So like this, this, Think The stupidity in that thinking alone seems shocking to me. But, but I'm looking at this I'm like, okay, you literally just saw Egypt rocked by the power of God. You literally walked through a sea. You watched your enemies get destroyed. You have a rock that's been pouring out water for you because God said so, because Moses hit the rock in God's command. You have bread that shows up on the ground every morning and yet you want to make a new God And like I'm like trying to process how do you get from watching this miraculous to going, why don't you just make me a God? You just saw, how could you turn from this God so quickly? Like, it's not even like at the end of their life with years in between. This is a short period of time, and now they're turning away. And I'm baffled. But I begin to learn something they never had a relationship with God. They had a relationship with Moses. They had a secondhand relationship with God. Secondhand relationships fall apart if the primary relationship disappears. When I was in college, um, I met a lot of people. I moved, I was a long ways away from home and I met people and I was having fun making friends, and then I met one that was really good looking, and I started hanging out with her. And I'm like, this is fun. And so I started kind of getting to know her, and I got to know a bit of her friends. And so her, her name is Kylie. I hung out with Kylie a bunch, and her best friend was Kelly. And I became friends with Kelly because I kept hanging out with Kylie. And we became um, pretty good friends here. And then as, as time went on, it became clear that Kylie and I were not going to pursue things any further. And this is what was weird. My relationship with Kelly disappeared. And it wasn't like she'd see me and run and yell, Black Pig! and run away. Like, but I had a friendship that like, just instantly disappeared because my friendship wasn't actually based on us, it was based on my, my friendship, friendship with Kylie and her friendship with Kylie. That's what a lot of Christians do. Is they go, I have a relationship with pastor and pastor has a relationship with God. And so my faith rests on you. And as long as you stay right here and you stay good, then I can have a relationship with God. But if you disappear or if you make a mistake or if then, then my faith crumbles. And you can look at any time that a, a high level Follower of Jesus, and I say a high level, simply in a high profile, follower of Jesus blows it. There's a bunch of people who fall apart because rather than going, I'm chasing after God, they go, I'm following this leader. And they have a secondhand relationship with God. We are not called to be secondhand followers of God. Jesus addresses this. In Jesus, he's teaching. Um, we're going to look at it. He, this is recorded in several of the Gospels. But um, in Mark chapter 4, uh, Jesus tells the parable that's often referred to as the parable of the sower. Most of you guys are, have at least heard it. Uh, if not, you're very familiar with it. Um, but Jesus tells the story. He says the, the sower goes out and he sows some seed. Some falls on the path. The birds come and eat it. Some falls on... Uh, the stony ground, it um, springs up and then dies right away because it has no root. Um, and then it says, um, some fell among thorns and it was choked away by the cares of this world and some fell on the good soil. And the good soil is those who, ex- who hear and accept the word. Um, there's two, two things I want to look at in there. First, hearing and accepting doesn't seem very thorough and personal. So I'm like, I looked up, I'm like, okay, what does the word accept? What's the Greek word accept? And I was going to try to pronounce it, and I discovered that my Greek is not very good. Um, Perodrochemai? Okay, I just, that's not how it sounds. But if you want to look it up, it's Greek word 3858, okay? Because um, my, my Greek pronunciation isn't good. I was listening to it before, beforehand, anyways. But here, here's what it means to take upon oneself, to receive, to acknowledge as one's own. He goes, the person who's going to produce in their Christian life is the one who takes the word and makes it their own. The one who receives it and embraces it and says, this is mine. This isn't pastor somebody's. This is my word. This is what God is saying to me. And they dive into the word for themselves. But as I be begin to, to look at this, in Mark four seventeen, he's talking about those who the seed that fell on the rocky soil. And he said, the seed is like God's word. And he says that that when they heard it, they had great joy. And they have, but they have no root in themselves. So they endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They have no root in themselves. They're resting on somebody else. And when they rest on somebody else, you are never, you're not stable when you're on somebody else. Your faith shouldn't be resting on Pastor Dwayne. Pastor Dwayne is great, but you need your own faith. And as I was beginning to look at this, as I, I felt like God put this on my heart. Was, I'm going to share something that does not sound very brilliant. Um, when I say it doesn't sound very brilliant, it sounds so basic that any non-Christian that you can find in America could tell you this. They would look at you and go, Christians are supposed to read their Bible, right? Like, you wouldn't find a Christian go, what, Christians supposed to read their Bible? Mind blown. Like, that's not gonna happen. They're gonna look at you and a non believer is gonna go, Christians are supposed to read their Bibles. But do you know how many do? I I tried to look it up. I'm like, I feel like it's, it's pretty low. And they're like, 19% they said 19% daily say they read their Bible. And then they they had like this percent, like 10% over here, like never even opened it. And then this percent over here, like they had another whole group of them that opened it like every six months. like, is this like Christmas and Easter? It's like, I read a verse. And they're like, they have read a verse or a passage that they're familiar with. And and I began to think about this. I'm like, okay, I think that is like the definition of not having your own roots. If if you're building your whole life on this and you've never opened it, then you're counting on somebody else to open it and tell you what it says. That is called a secondhand relationship. And God called us to have firsthand faith, to go, I'm gonna know God. I'm gonna know what God says and I'm gonna follow him. And and so, so this is supposed to be like, what guides us? In Joshua 1, eight it says, You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It says in Romans twelve. Two, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is the good, acceptable, and perfect will? I just propped up my stuff so I can take it again. Okay, this is supposed to shape the lens that you look through. This is supposed to, to, to be so ingrained in you that you say, what is normal? And it shouldn't be, well, what I saw on Netflix last week it shouldn't be well what they were saying around the water cooler at work she should be well what god says is how i live well god says that i'm supposed to love you so even if i think that that you have a ridiculous opinion and i just was looking at people arguing over facebook over different things and you're like no one's listening they're all just yelling at each other and you're like what are you doing like you probably both have some, some validity to your argument, but no one's listening. Everyone's just tearing each other apart. And you're like, well, how does the Bible say you should handle it? With love? Is any of that with love? Like, this should determine how I handle it. This should determine how I step, how I treat you, how I, how I disagree with you, how I love you. This is supposed to shape it. And as I begin to look at this, I realized that, that our culture actually fights this. Our culture has this pushback against authority, and it has this pushback against absolutes, which is somewhat stupid. And I say that because to say there are no absolutes is a definitive statement. So in saying there's no absolutes, aren't I making an absolute statement? But nonetheless, that's what our culture pushes for, and they have this... this, mindset that what's good for you might not be good for me and it's just all about my personal preference and my personal experience that's just going to shape how I feel today and and everything becomes very wishy-washy and if we're not in something that's grounded that's true, this overwhelming saturated culture will begin to affect us as it tries to pass off its beliefs as truth even if its beliefs are there is no truth, which is weird. But, um, but I, I was watching somebody and I was thinking about this and there was, there was a, a fella who I ministered with who was on staff um, at, at a church for, for years and years and, and God did some amazing, amazing things through him. And I, I was reading about him and he, he had a post. Um, after he'd left, and after some time had gone by and he'd gone through some difficult times and he made a post and he said, for the first time in like two years, he opened his Bible. He'd been a pastor and he'd led these people. And I read that, I'm like, what? For the first time in two years, how are you? And then you watch. And a little while later, I read another article that he he decided he was going to be an atheist for a year. And then a little while later, I find him leading a group of people in questioning everything and denying scripture and taking a stance that's in bold contradiction to the word. And then there's a quote from him that that says... um, my personal relationship with the Bible has not been great over the last few years. I find it such a difficult and misused book that I often just avoid it. Um, and his stuff goes on, but I just, I watched somebody that I respected, somebody who was a pastor, somebody who loved God, but they got out of the word. And when you get out of the word, what is your standard? What I feel, Right? And it ends up going, but I feel, but like, you're, okay, I say this with the most love because my feelings are stupid. So are yours. Um, you feel some things that are great. You feel some things that are stupid. I, if I did everything I felt like doing, I'd be fat. Okay, like, like <laughs> I feel like eating a dozen cookies at a time, every time. I feel like eating them. Like, there's a lot of things I feel like doing that I know are bad ideas. Like, I feel like running some people off the road sometimes. Sorry if it was ever you. But like, like, you're driving and someone just does something stupid and you want to respond and the feelings that come up, you recognize they are from Satan himself. And you're like, no, no, that is not okay. I walk in love. I walk in love. I will love you. And like, um, but, 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 if this isn't my standard, my standard begins to move constantly because it's based on how I feel. I have to get in this. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. He's sitting here going, someone can claim to talk to you from God. It can be a minister. It can be a pastor. He goes, test everything with the word. Um, It is not enough just to go, well, my pastor said. What does God say? We are supposed to be in God's word. It's supposed to be what guides us. It's supposed to be our anchor. Um. And I got thinking about this, I'm like, okay, so this is, this is pretty simple. If I was to sit here and say, um, you're supposed to read your Bible, all of you guys would go, duh. Okay, so, if it's so easy to say, why do so many people not do it? And As I begin to look at this, I'm like, well, some of them don't think it's important. Some of them don't know where to start. Um, and I, I, I just took for granted, my parents have been in the Word since I was a little little. And like, as a little kid, I thought part of being an adult was reading your Bible. And as a little kid, every little kid wants to be big. That's why they sell toy vacuums. You think about it and you're like, why sell toy vacuum? I don't want a vacuum. Why do I give my kid a toy vacuum? Because they saw mommy do it. Now they want to do it. Like, And they sell little kid mowers. And dad's complaining because he's got to go mow the yard. And the son's like, I'm going to follow you. And Carrie pushed the little mower. He goes, pop, 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 as I walk. Because they want to do what big kids do. They want to do what what adults do because they want to be big. And so growing up, Like when I started to read, I was like, I want to read my Bible because that's what big people do, and I want to be a big person. I remember when I like I discovered that that was not something that everybody grew up with. Like for a lot of people, they they come to Jesus later, and they're like, Great, I love the Word. Someone taught me taught it to me because I don't know, I don't understand, I don't know where to start. I, I I started in Genesis and I made it as far as Exodus, and then I got into all these rules and I just stopped. And like this is really common. And I remember I had some some guys over and we were having a Bible study. And we're like, all right, we're going to turn to, and we tell them, and they, these guys are going like this. And you're like, you, you, you have no idea what you're doing, do you? No, no. W- w- where, 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 where is it? And you're like, okay, let me show you. Like, there is some really basic stuff that I'm like, I started taking it, I realized I took a lot for granted. You're like, oh. Just because my parents taught me this doesn't mean that everybody knows how to navigate their Bible. The fact that the Bible is one book that's made up of 66 books is news to people. And if it's news to you, welcome. I'm going to try to break this down, and we're going to get really simple, and then we'll go a little bit deeper for those that, are, um, that this is not news to. But So your Bible has 66 books. There's 39 books in what we call the Old Testament, which is from creation till just before, um, till the last book that was written before Jesus comes. Then there's 27 New Testament books, which is the half after Jesus comes. And we refer to them that way because the way that we relate to God in them changes. And as I begin to look, i my book, so as I read this, it's, it, it's a story. And it starts with God who wants a relationship with man. And he creates man he creates the world, he creates everything, and he creates mankind to be in relationship with him. And man chooses to reject God and to choose sin and to be his own master. This sin we see break the relationship between man and God. But we see God right from the get-go, right from when he goes and addresses the first sin, he, he promises that he's going to send one who's going to crush Satan under his feet and that he is going to make things right, even though mankind messed them up. And as we begin to turn the pages, we begin to see God call out a people and say, I'm going to set a people aside to myself to set this up. And he gives them a law that says, so that they can recognize their need for a savior. They recognize that they've sinned. They recognize the need for forgiveness. And you go through and you see that people begin to turn towards God and God, Meet them, and then them say, "I don't need God because I have things, and then they reject God, and then they end up in a mess, and they say, "God, I need you." And you watch this cycle over and over as you as you turn through, and they begin to prophesy. And God begins to give them words that He is going to send someone to redeem them, someone to buy them back from what sin, from what they've sold themselves into through sin and that he's going to set them free. And you see this all through the Old Testament until you get to the book of Matthew, which marks the beginning of the New Testament where Jesus comes as a man, where he begins to fulfill these prophecies that he begins to come. God himself came as a man to live a perfect life, to pay the price that we could not pay. And he, he pays this by dying on a cross, to set us free from the price of sin. He raises from the dead, proving that the check for our redemption has cleared. And he begin, um, he commissioned his followers to go and to spread this word as he begins to set up for us to have a relationship with God again that we can spend forever with him. Then you get into what's called the epistles. The epistles are a bunch of letters. Paul and uh, a few of these other guys write letters to different people and they begin to circulate them and go, this is, this is these are some of these, are God's word on different things. And you'll find a bunch of epistles and then it ends with the book of Revelation, which is the book of prophecy written by John. And it, that ends with God with man and man with God and God being their God and them being his people because God wants a relationship with us. And this is the narrative of your Bible. And you go through, go, okay, okay, so, so maybe some of you guys go, I, I already know this narrative, but as you, as you get into this, um, are you spending time in it? And a lot of them go, well, I, I know the story because I grew up in Sunday school and in Sunday school, we went through a lot of these lessons, but I begin to read it and what do I do? Where do I start? And so if, if you're brand new to the Bible, I'm gonna ask you to start in Matthew chapter one, verse 14. I think it's 14 thereabouts, as soon as you get to the end of so-and-so begot so-and-so. And you go, well, why am I skipping parts? And when do you start a book in the middle? And you're okay. So let me preface this with the first 14 verses of that are telling you whose kids, who had kids, who had kids, who had kids, because they fulfill a promise of who Jesus is. They say, this is the Redeemer that you were promised. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And then you can start. And when you get done reading Matthew, you're gonna get into a book called Mark and you're gonna go, didn't I already hear this story? The first four books of the New Testament are, are different people's accounts of walking with Jesus, of living with Jesus, of all the stories that, that were going around and going, this is what Jesus did. As you begin to read through those and you begin to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, it will, it will do this so well. But as I, be, as, I, as I begin to read this, I discovered that, that many people, open it up, and they read it to check it off a list, and they go through, and they go, okay, so I'm supposed to read my Bible, I read a verse, I read a chapter, I read this, this amount, you know, some of them have said, you know what, I'm gonna be really good, I got a Bible reading plan, and so I read some, checked it off the list, and then I went to work. Um, okay, I, I discovered something. I'm a competitive individual, um, and if I read just to accomplish a certain number of chapters, I have a tendency I, that none of you guys would have, I am sure. But to read to get it done and to be like, oh, I'm supposed to read this. And you get done, you're like, what'd you read? Uh, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> what'd you get out of it? Ooh, that's a trick question, isn't it? Like, um, and so I, as, a, as a kid, my, my mom, I think, began to point some stuff out to me. And so I started taking a Bible and I was actually reading, I think, in Proverbs. And Proverbs is awesome. It's a book in the Old Testament. It's called the Wisdom Book. And um, it has really simple, important things to say. Like, even if fools consider wise and they keep their mouth shut. Um, And I read that and I'm like, ooh, I know what to do with that. I need to shut up. People will think I'm smart. and like... I took a highlighter and I marked it. And then I got to like a little few verses later. And then, you know, like I'm reading through Proverbs and it's like, um, life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit. I'm like, ooh, hmm, this is good. I need to be careful what I say. And I started thinking, I'm like, God created the world with his words. And if he says that life is in my tongue, am I saying what I want? Or am I speaking everything negative that I ever encounter? And speaking it further into my own life, and so I begin to mark things that, that, that stuck out to me. I begin to mark them, and I then I started going, you know, what? There's some issues I got. There's some things I need to know. Um, there's things I need to, to have wisdom on. Like I, I need to know what a good wife looks like. And so I started marking every time it talked talked about it. I'm like, all right, what color marker do I got? Found a marker like that's what it's going to be. Whenever I find a woman, it's going to highlight that in the Bible. And you're like, all right. Here's what it is. And then I, then I started going, well, I need wisdom. I'm going to highlight that. I'm going to mark that. I need, I need, I need help with anger. I'm going to mark every spot that it talks about anger. I'm going to, going to mark this. Oh, I'd like to have some money. What does the Bible have to say about money? I will put a money symbol next to it. And I begin to mark this. And then what it did, it wasn't that it changed my Bible, but it changed me. Because instead of reading it to get it done, I started to read it to see what I could find, to see what it had to say to me. And when I began to read it to discover what it had to say all of a sudden, instead of just checking something off a list, I was making it my own. He so said, this is where the word becomes, begins to become fruitful, is when I begin to say, you know what? As I read this story, what can I apply to my life? And then I discovered, if I read quickly, I come across a verse, I'm going to have a thought, that thought is going to be about this big. Um, But if I'll stop and take a moment to write it down, that thought is gonna grow to be bigger. Depends on on what one, how big it's gonna be. I was reading um, this week. I was out with Pastor Tim Gillio. We were out hunting. And so I'm sitting in my tree, reading on Version in my tree stand, and I'm reading through the book of Mark. And I came across where God speaks from heaven over Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. And I had a thought. I thought, huh, look at how God speaks about his son. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm going to write this down. So I just stopped while I'm in my tree stand. I didn't have a pen, but I had you version. So I just made a note. I'm like, okay, when God speaks about his son, he affirms him and he affirmed his identity. And then I thought, oh, wow, he affirmed him and he affirmed his identity. I'm a dad how am I speaking to my son? Am I affirming him? Am I affirming his identity? Am I pointing out verbally the things that he's doing right? Or am I silently approving and verbally disapproving of the things that he does? And I begin to write this down and then I begin to challenge myself and go, okay, now I have a word that comes from this that's now my word. This is what God's saying to me. And this is how it's going to apply to my life. And I can apply this to how I parent And then I I went through and and I can't go over everything that I found in the word while I was sitting in my tree, but this is the point. That when I begin to write it down, it began to come alive. And when it began to come alive, I begin to get so much more out of it. And I want to challenge each of you guys to read your Bible. And I know this is like the deep, ooh, look, my pastor told me to read my Bible. Yeah, but not just to check it off a list but to read it to say, God, what do you want to say to me? Take something, whether it's a pin, whether it's your phone where you can type, whether it's, a, I, I have Word documents that I started to keep track of my notes because my handwriting is horrible. And if I fill up notebooks, I lose them. Or like later you're like, I wrote it down. Where? In a notebook. Which one? Good question. And it's gone. But if I write it in a Word document, I can later, like, go. where did I put it? I can hit control F and I can search and find it. And if um, I have them labeled by book and I got a whole system that I created for me that just to help keep me straight. But this is not the point. It's not you have to be Pastor Daniel. The point is you need to pursue Jesus for you outside of what happens inside this building. You need to have firsthand faith that's not built on us. And if you're to have firsthand faith, that means we each have to spend time in the word for ourselves. And that if you want to get something out of it, you have to be willing to look for it and to go, how can I use it? How can I apply it? Where is this word? And, and when you write these things down, when I begin to look for things that stand out, when I begin to look for, for patterns, when I begin to write them down, it begins to come alive to me. And I begin to do something with it. And as I looked Satan's, like, his, his primary attack, he's got two things he loves to attack. He loves to attack with lies, and he loves to attack God's word. Like, if you go into the, if you start your Bible in Genesis, you read through to the first sin in Genesis 3, and Satan's first, like, attack at it was, did God really say? And then he, he, he says that if you do this, you'll become like God. But if you go back a couple of uh, chapters, you find out that God made them in their image. So they're already made in God's image, but he attacks their identity, and he does it with a lie while attacking God's word. Now, if you flip in your Bible all the way to the New Testament, you get into Matthew chapter, now we're going to go 317. 317, God speaks to Jesus when he gets baptized, says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then you go chapter four, verse three-ish. Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, he attacks God's word that God had just spoke to him, and he attacks his identity. And then I was, I was looking in, um, how many of you guys are familiar with the armor of God? or Ever heard of the armor of God? Okay. If you haven't, It's in Ephesians chapter six and you can read all about it. As a kid, it was one of like my favorite things that they would teach on it in like res kids because you're like, it's armor. And I wanted to fight everything because I was a little boy and that's just the way I was wired. And so you're like, there's swords. I get to hold a sword. And you'd like wanna be the one that the, the pastor would like call up or the person teaching because a lot of times they'd bring in props and it'd be a shield and a sword even if that meant that it was a broomstick and a trash can lid. But it was a sword and it was a shield and I was excited. I remember like reading this not that long ago and I always wanted it to be these like really epic, awesome like battle things, like i'm going to go to war with the devil, and it's got to be awesome and powerful and all of a sudden, I was reading them and and so if you're if you're not very familiar with them, you can find them in Ephesians chapter six um, but but he goes through, and he says that it's the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit. And I began to go over these, and I realized something that just like I was like, whoa. These aren't like beat people up weapons. These all protect me against a lie. And the, the offensive weapon is the word. And it'd be like this light bulb went on that you probably already had go on, but this light bulb came on for me, that Satan's primary attack is lies. It comes through lies. He lies to you about who you are. He lies to you about what, what's going to happen. He makes things that aren't good look good. He, he promises things that he's not going to deliver on. And this light bulb that's shining is going, I fight all of this by knowing truth. The things that he's listing as my armor are different areas that I'm gonna get from here and it's getting a revelation of this in here. He goes, when you begin to know that when Jesus says that you're forgiven, you're forgiven, that when he says that he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from your unrighteousness, then when Satan comes to you and says, you are your mistake, you can look at him and you can go, no. The Bible says that he removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. Psalms 103, verse 12. He says that he forgave me. Now your lie now has no grip over me. And he goes, you're never going to amount to anything. And he goes, no, no, no. The Bible says that I'm more than a conqueror. because And he says that greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And all of a sudden, the devil sits here, and he tries to tell you these lies, and you go, no, 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 no. I know who I am. I, I am protected because this is in my heart. This shapes who I am. This shapes how I see me, and this shapes how I live. And then he sits here, and he goes, well, well you don't need to treat your spouse like that. And you go, no, no, no. Yes, yes, I do. The Bible says that I get to lay my life down for, her like Christ laid his life down for me. See, I'm going to spend time with this I've had purple people make excuses and they're like, well, I don't want it to be an obligation because this is supposed to be this, this relationship. And I go, yeah, okay, this, you need to spend time with God. And if it's a discipline, well, do it as a discipline. And they're like, but, but that's, that, that's like legalistic. And they look at me like I'm like this horrible, evil, vile person for, for saying that they need to do something that they don't want to do. Um, okay, if you meet somebody who's in really good shape, The odds are it's on purpose. And if you ask them, a lot of them like going to the gym and you're like, man, you're weird. Yes, but if you ask them when they started, they didn't. Like like, like they go to the gym and you're like, did you always like it? They're like, no, I hated it. But after I did it for a while, I tried to stop and then I felt yuck. And they're like, and I craved it. And then I wanted to go back. Or I, like, you talk to somebody and they're like, I haven't ate junk food in this long and then I tried it and it was disgusting. And you're like, God bless you. And I, um, and I look and I go, okay, this is supposed to be a relationship. Let me tell you a secret. I have the most amazing wife in the world. I love her. Sometimes I love her on accident. Sometimes I love her on purpose. See, if I only love her when I feel like it, That's not even really love. That's still about me. But here's the thing. When I don't feel like it, I choose to love her. When I do feel like it, it's great. And if I choose to love her when I don't feel like it, I'll feel like it most of the time. But if I don't love her and treat her with love when I don't feel like it, it will happen more frequently because you become... Less loving, odds are that she'll have to fight not responding to how I treated her, which makes it less desirable to love her. And see, this is a cycle. And it's a great marriage teaching. There's a lot there, but this is the point. If you wait to seek God until you feel like it, you won't feel like it. But if you choose and say, I'm going to pursue Him because I need to have my own faith and I'm gonna spend time in his word, and I'm gonna put on his armor, then it'll begin to grow, and it'll begin to overflow in you, and you'll fall in love with him, and it can become your own. But there's there's something really important. As you read this, you're gonna discover that God loves you, that he loves you so much that he was willing to pay the highest price for your forgiveness so that he could have a relationship with you. And if you don't have a relationship with God, he wants one with you. And I want to invite you to respond to his invitation because the Bible says that he stands at the door of your heart knocking because he wants to come in, because he wants a relationship with you. And if you've been turned off because you met Christians who didn't act like Jesus, I'd like to say, I'm sorry. It's because they weren't in this for themselves. And when you begin to pursue him, and you begin to know him, only then can you begin to reflect him. But if you don't have that relationship, I wanna give you this opportunity. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If that's you, you say, today, I want to make him my Lord. Today, I wanna begin to live for him. Today I want to receive that forgiveness and know that I'm right with God and I'm on my way to heaven. Then when I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. Say, so that's me. Awesome. I see your hand. Who else? is that's me. I see your hand. I see your hand. Who else? is that's me. I want to make Jesus my Lord. Awesome. You can put your hands down. We're going to say a simple prayer because the Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to call on his name and we're going to declare him to be our Lord. We're going to repent and he says that he's going to forgive us. So whether you've done this before or whether this is your first time, go ahead and join me as we say this. We say, God, thank you for loving me. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.